That's kind of the theme I want you to get today about opening your hearts, opening your eyes, opening your spiritual hearts. There's more that's going on in yourself and in the world for the good of God, for the glory of God, than we know sometimes. We should know, maybe. But we just don't open ourselves up to it. So that's going to be a little bit of a theme today that I would ask you to just open your hearts. Open your hearts to something new that God wants to do in your life today. I was trying to think of, I always like to come up with some sort of title for my, my sermon. And what came to me was this, is like, I put down, and it might even be something written on your sheet there, I put down like, an act of God versus a natural disaster. How many people have insurance? Most of us here have insurance, right? When something goes wrong, tornado or a flood, they want to call it an act of God, right? An act of God. Does your, does your insurance policy cover an act of God? Like God would send something to us and try to wipe us off the face of the earth. I, I don't see it that way. It's about time we looked at an act of God versus a natural disaster. And that's kind of a little bit of a theme. So we're going to open up our heart to the spiritual. That's what I want you to do. But I want you to put in perspective what's an act of God and what's a disaster in your life or in, in the lives of things around you. I'm not talking about physical storms. I'm talking about the storms in our lives that, that come into play. You know, I know we're in this world. And the Bible does say in this world you'll have trials and tribulations. But you can't forget the kicker there in John 16, where Jesus says, take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus tells you something. Most times he gives you something to get over the hump. He gives you that, that something. He tells you what's happening, but he says, but you know what? I'm here. I'm inside you. I'm here to get you over the hump. So we don't have to have trials and tribulations 24-7 in our life. They don't have to define us. Our life is not defined by, I endured longer than the next person, or I survived more problems than the next person. Our, our lives are defined by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And when we allow him to work in our lives, how we can move through the trials and tribulations of the world and be successful. So my message today is for how an act of God can override or help us diffuse or alleviate or shorten the length of a disaster maybe. I'll call them a natural disaster because most of the times the things that happen in our lives are done naturally out of the flesh. So in our lives when we do something crazy or something, it's, we call it a, I'll call it a natural disaster. And it's that act of God when he intervenes in our life and he gives us the power already inside of us and from the word of God, that act of God that you see throughout the Bible, that we'll talk about a few of those stories, will override that natural disaster in life. Or it'll allow you to not get sucked in to some sort of disaster that's going to cause you problems. Those things that the enemy tries to throw at us, I like to call those disasters. It says in John 10.10 10, that the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Does it not? It's a thief. But I, Jesus, once again, has given us something to fall back on have come to give you life. I like how it says in the Amplified, and I, I can't quote it exactly, in abundance till it overflows. I'm using my wing. Can you see that? I think I'll use this one. <laughs> yesterday, you want to know something, a natural reaction? I was at a hockey game yesterday. I was standing on the bench, and a puck got shot right here. And I went like this, tried to catch it. And I went, oh. For, I had surgery on my shoulder, but somebody didn't know, so I'm like, yeah, that was not good. So... 
I try to keep my wing down today, but it's, I, I, I talk with my hands. So. so an act of God is when, I believe, is an act of God is when the supernatural defeats the natural. It's something many believers maybe don't even want to tap into. Maybe they never heard of that. But I want you to use today as your stepping stone, as you just allow God to work in your life today, to leap into the supernatural, to take a peek into the supernatural and see what God has provided for us already to get over the hump, to live a, a life that he wants us to live. There's a whole other world out there. There is. It's just not me and you. There's angels, there's, there's all different things out there that, that God has provided. He's provided the Holy Spirit on the inside of us to allow us to live the Christian life. The world's not just what you see with the natural eye. You have to believe that. There's a lot of things out there that are warring and going to bat on your behalf in the supernatural. See things the way God sees them. Let's just check out this video clip for one second. Maybe some of you will recognize it, but I'll explain it here in a minute. I love that part in the, in the movie, it's the Chronicles of Narnia, where the, the young girl Lucy there, she climbs into the wardrobe, they're playing hide and seek in this big house that they're, they're living in, and she's playing hide and seek so she finds this wardrobe, or what they, a wardrobe is a closet, right? It's a closet or a chest, and she, she climbs in through there, and she's backing through, and it's, look, it's just big, right? And she, she backs in, she gets into another world. If you've seen the movie, which are awesome, and the, and the books are great too, she finds herself in a whole other world. It's a book by C.S. Lewis, which was uh, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, where C.S. Lewis, is a, he's a Christian man, and he uses his skills and the anointing of the Holy Spirit to, to write a book, and they put it in a movie about, to show us that there's more in the world that's just there. It's an amazing thing. It's just, if you could just be like that little kid, like, like that little Lucy, and just 
peer in to the supernatural. It's out there. What I really love about C.S. Lewis's life is like uh, him and the, and, the, and the gentleman that wrote The Lord of the Rings, Tolkien, is that his name, last name? I can't, I can't ever pronounce it right. They, they were in Bible study together. They were in a men's Bible study together. And these guys studied and then they wrote books. And it's like, what an amazing thing. Talking about, and you look at the Lord of the Rings books, it's like this said good versus evil. And this is kind of what we see here in this movie too, in, in this book. And so I just want to just get that picture. It's like there's more than meets the eye if we want to believe in what God is, has out there for us. So what do you believe, what do you believe about that today? This is my question for you. Because if you feel like God is, is doing some of these things in your life, these rotten things in your life, then you're going you're gonna to wear that as a badge of honor saying, God has given me these things, I'm going to wear that. Where the real badge of honor is, is knowing who you are in Christ and allowing the Holy Spirit to pour out of you and overcome these issues. Did you know that angels aren't just little babies in diapers shooting bow and arrow? They're not. They're not sitting on clouds playing harps. There are big, warring, ministering angels out there that if you get a picture of them, will surround you. There's, I, I looked up uh, scriptures on them. There was just a ton of them. And I didn't even write them all down. There's dozens. In Luke 2, Luke 15, Matthew 13, Genesis 3, Psalms 91, Acts 27, in Isaiah, Hebrews 1, Matthew 4, 1 Peter 1, Revelation. All talk about angels and ministering angels and the angels that surround us that come and speak to us and, and talk to us. Even Jesus, who was in the desert, who was... God, the Son of God, all in one, had an angel come and minister to him. So they're there. I remember watching a sermon by Joyce Meyer one time, and she was there with a, and she was talking about a, a, a lady who came to one of her conferences. And she brought her husband, who was an unbeliever at the time, or very skeptical. And as they were playing the worship music, he's sitting there disinterested, and she had a whole list of other, other speakers and as those speakers were talking, he's very disinterested. And then it's time for Joyce, the, the headliner. She comes up and she stands up there and she said, this lady says that her husband just sat up and took notice. And this lady says to herself, she goes, I knew it. I knew jo- Joyce was the only one that could get through to my, to my husband. So after, the, after the, the conference, she's talking what you thought. And he's like, well, I didn't really hear too much. I was just enamored by those two big massive angels on each side of that lady, he says. And she's like, there was no angels. He goes, oh yeah, there was. So she shared this story with Joyce, and Joyce talked about, you know, there's this, this gentleman who was not a believer at the time could see into the new supernatural and saw these two big guardian angels around this lady. Now, if you can believe that or not, I tend to believe in that. I believe that there's people that maybe do not believe that, but I believe that there's angels all around us watching over us, guiding us, helping us out. See, the real... So that is, to me, is part, of the, is part of reality. The supernatural is what God has supplied for us. He's surrounded us with the supernatural. He's supplied the supernatural on the inside of us. It's that presence of the Holy Spirit that allows us to call upon him in any situation. There's a great story in 2 Kings, chapter 6, when we talk about calling on or seeing the supernatural at work. And I'll read some scripture. I'm going to read a little bit of scripture for you guys here today, and I'm going to talk about it. So parts of it will be uh, up on, on the screen. And it starts at verse 6, and it talks about this. The sons and the prophets said to Elisha, See now the place where we dwell with you is too small for us. Please let us go to the Jordan, 
and let every man make a beam from there, and let us make there a place where we may dwell. So he answered, go. Then one said, please consent to go with your servants. And he said, I will go. So he went with them, and when they came to Jordan, they cut down trees. But, I was, but as one was cutting down a tree, the iron axe head fell into the water, and he cried out and said, Alas, master, for it was borrowed. So the man of God said, Where did it fall? And he showed him the place in the river. So he cut off a stick, which would be a branch, and threw it in there. And he made the iron float. And therefore he said, Pick it up yourself. So he reached his hand in and picked it up. Do you believe that? I do. It's an amazing story that iron would flow in a river. Not only is it amazing that the iron would flow, but in a river that is probably rushing by, that to throw a stick in there that would sit there and allow something to flow. A branch. Think about it. Who is the branch we know of today? It's Jesus. It says that in John 15. It talks about you, I am the vine, you are the branches. It's that symbolism right there to me that points us right to Christ. He could have done anything. Elisha just could have said, all right, float. But he allowed this guy to believe that by throwing a stick into a river would cause something to float. He said, you know, you need to get, part, you need to get a hold of this supernatural, this God, and allow him to do a work in your life. He said, you need to participate. And I think the great symbolism that he uses here, that he uses a branch. He's saying here, well, to me it's like, I'm going to show you Jesus right now. The branch is going to save your day. This, port, this, this portion of scripture is full of God's presence. We know that axe heads don't float. How many people have an axe? It doesn't float. It doesn't. It's impossible in the natural. But in the supernatural, it saved a man's day. It's an amazing thing. One thing I take out of the scripture, like I said, is about the symbolism towards Christ. John 15, 5 is what it says. I am the vine, and you are the branches. And he says, you're attached to me. That's what he was telling. Elisha was telling this guy back then. He's like, you're attached to God because you're with me. Now here, you want a miracle? You need a miracle? I'll give you one. He says, do what I say. And God's going to pull that axe head out of the water. And he does it. See, God overrides this man's potential disaster. An act of God overrides this man's disaster. He says, alas, master, it was borrowed. But basically, when I looked that up, it says it twice in, in, in 2 Kings 6, alas, He's talking in doom. He's scared. He's in fear. He doesn't know what to do. He's calling out for help. And Elisha helps him. Matthew Henry said it this way in his reference about the floating axe head. Matthew Henry's concise. He says, And God's grace can thus raise the stony iron heart which is sunk into the mud of this world. So he alludes to that. He's saying, Is, it, is our stony heart is stuck in the mud? He says, Only God can raise you out of that, he's saying. What an awesome way to look at it. God wants to do a great thing in all our lives. And as we read through 2 Kings, we immediately come to another story of God doing, a mighty, doing mighty things in the life of Elijah. So I'll give you a, an opportunity today when you get home or later this week just, just to read that scripture. In verse 8 it says, Now the king of Syria was making war against Israel, and he consulted with his servants, saying, My camp will be in such and such place. And the man of God sent to the, sent to the king of Israel, saying, Beware that you do not pass this place, for the Syrians are coming down there. And he says, Therefore the heart of the king of Syria was greatly troubled by this thing. And he called his servants, and this is the key. He says, Will you not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? He's asking him, Who is this person here who's for the king of Israel? And one of the servants said, None, except Elisha. So what happens is, Well, go and see where he is, and I may send him and get him. 
So this is what the king of Syria is saying. He's saying, if I can just catch Elijah, Elisha, if I can just capture him, I get all of Israel. So he's shooting for one guy in the natural, right? He's going after Elisha. Something maybe we better go back and read here later this week so you can check it out for yourself. But the king of Syria is saying, I don't have to worry about anything else. If I could just get this Elisha character, I've won the war. I've won the battle. So that's what he's shooting for, right? So therefore he sent horses and chariots and a great army, and they came by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God arose, this is a guy that was a servant of Elisha, he went out there, was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And a servant said, Alas, my master. He's like, We are in trouble. This is bad news. There's a whole army camped around us. But Elisha says, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more, are more than those who are with them. He's like, Say what? We got nobody here. There's a whole army out there, and they're going to destroy us. That's what he's thinking. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray you open the eyes that he may see. He's praying that he would open up the eyes of this servant's eyes to the supernatural so that he would see what God is doing in the situation. And at the same time, Elisha is asking God to change a disastrous situation. So then the Lord, and then, then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. Isn't that amazing? He saw. He saw into the supernatural. He could plainly see in the natural because he saw the army camped around his village. But now, his eyes were open to the supernatural. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So what was this one king of Syria shooting for? Elisha. And where was all of God's armies encamped around? Elisha. So right away, this guy's going, we're not going to get to that guy. This isn't going to work out the way I planned. And so... Then Elisha prays, he says, I pray that you would blind the Syrian army. And so as they come down the hill towards Elisha, they're all blinded, and Elisha takes them away. No guns back then, right? No rocks thrown, no knives, no nothing. Just someone asking God to intervene into a situation, and God shows up mightily. I just think of the Apostle Paul when he's on the road to Damascus, right? What happens to him when he gets knocked down? He's blinded, and he's led at the mercy of someone, a messenger of God, to take him into a place to allow his life to be changed. Elisha was the messenger of God, prophet. So now Elisha said to them, this is not the way, nor is this the city. Follow me, and I will bring you to a man whom you seek. But he led him into Samaria. And the Lord said, open the eyes of these men and at the, that they may see. And the Lord opened their eyes, and they saw, and they're inside Samaria. So what happens is, not only does Elisha take, save his own town, he takes him to another place, which is another enemy of Israel. And he says, all right, I've just killed two birds with one stone because I've seen into the supernatural and I've allowed God to work in this situation. And it says he prepared a great feast for them and he sent them on their way. And then is, I love this part where it says, so the bands of Syrian raiders who were trying to take Elisha in this town came no more to the land of Israel. Not only did it save him that day, it saved him forever. Save him forever. It's kind of like when we ask Christ to be Lord of our lives. He just doesn't save us for today. He saves us forever. We can call upon him anytime. We see into the supernatural and allow God 
to work in our lives. What a great story about Elisha. Remember, Elisha was the understudy of Elijah, and he was given a double portion. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? But you know, as today as Christians with the Holy Spirit on living on the inside of us and the Word of God to work through, we've been given an infinite portion. We can do more and great and mighty things. We allow God to work in our lives. See, Elisha's servant saw a natural, dira- natural disaster surrounding their city, but it was an act of God that saved them all. How about the story of Gideon? God changes a hopeless situation in the book about in Gideon in Judges 7. He was the fifth judge of Israel. He was a reluctant leader. And it was a time when Israel had abandoned everything about God. And God had, it says in the Bible, had withdrawn his blessing and his protection. And the nation suffered. And Gideon was this reluctant leader. He was a leader probably just by title, but he wasn't a very good leader. He didn't really know how to lead. He was just kind of flying under the radar hoping like, ah, I really hope nothing comes in my town or my, my place because I just want to lay low and I'm not going to rock the boat. And God comes to him. And after God had called on Gideon and Gideon had been persuaded to accept the task God gave him, it was time to act. So God was giving the orders and Gideon had to act. So you need to read about this in Judges 7. don't have time to read it all. So this is, I'll give you a synopsis. Gideon's army was 32,000. And the, the people that were coming against him were 120,000 swordsmen. And you'd think at a time like this, you'd be out on a recruiting trip saying, we need some more people. We got 32,000. They got 120,000. We're outnumbered four to one. We need some more people. Let's go on a recruiting trip, Gideon was probably thinking at the time. But God says, you know what? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to reduce your army. And he says, so all the people that are scared and fear and trembling, I want you to send them home. So 22,000 guys got their pink slip, and they went home. So he went from four to one odds down to, I wasn't a math major, I was a journalism major, uh, 12 to one odds. So now you're down, now you're outnumbered 12 to 1. And Gideon might be thinking, this is weird, but I'm trusting God, so I'm going to go, God told me to do this, I'm going to go with him. See, and it's kind of like if you have, with, with getting rid of those 10,000 people, it's like, think about this yourself, or the 22,000 people, think about this. If you're in a crisis, and you've surrounded yourself with fearful people, it's time to send them home. Say, so you know what, I can't be around you if you're in fear all the time, because I'm in a battle right now. And I need to hear from God, and I need to allow God to work in my life. So if you're fearful, if fearful people are speaking in your life, you need to say, you know, I can't listen to you right now. I'm going to listen to what God's word says, and allow that to work in my life. So in this situation, 22,000 people with weapons got sent home. So it went from being outnumbered 4 to 1 to 12 to 1. Then the Lord said, the people are still too many. I say, what? Bring them down to the water, and I will test you. I will test them for you. So what happens is he has them drink out of the, out of the river a certain way. And 9,700 people knelt down on their knees and they drank directly from the stream. And then 300 of them cupped their hands and took, took water into them and drinking it like a dog from a bull. So they lapped it up. And God says this to Gideon. I will deliver you with the 300 men who lapped like a dog. And I will give you the Midianites into your hands. Let all the other people go home. So I went from 32,000 to 10,000 to 300 against 120,000 people. 
and he attacked him with the 300 people. And as the night came, and they rose, he says, go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hands. That's what he says. He says, I'm giving it to you. He's not saying, go, best of luck. Have fun. It's going to be a battle. There's 120,000 of them. There's only 300. Better have your A game today. He didn't say anything like that to him. He says, I'm giving you this land. Go. So what happens is when they head into town and they, they have lanterns and, and swords and they create a ruckus and the Midianites turn on each other and they get scared and they freak out and they win a battle. And then also when they retreated, there was a, another group of people that refused to give Gideon bread because they didn't know who was going to win. So these guys, they weren't on God's side either. So once they decided not to help Gideon and Gideon ended up winning, winning his army went back and destroyed those guys too. So there was a whole bunch of enemies that they ended up taking out with 300 people. No casualties. Everyone here does it say the 297 or the 240 people went in and attacked. It always says the 300. They went in. So we think when they went back home that night, they still had their 32,000 people. They didn't lose anybody. It's because Gideon allowed God to give him a word and he acted on it. God's giving us words all the time. He's speaking to us all the time, I believe. We just have to act on some of those words that he gives us. I would say act on all those words he gives us. But if you act on a few to start with, you'd be like, hey, this is working. I'll add some more of God's word to my life. And it's an amazing thing that God does not depend on large numbers of people to accomplish his goals. One man and God is a majority in the supernatural, in your world. You and God are a majority. Think about that. You and God are an army. That's what he's saying to us. To his disciples, Jesus once said, Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has chosen gladly to give you his kingdom. We're a little flock, but we can do mighty damage in the kingdom down here. Just us little flock. That's what he's saying. He's saying you don't have to go out and recruit 10,000 people for your church right now. He says you little flock can do a mighty work right here in Mason City. And sometimes when you're in the little flock, and you're in a small group, maybe you're by yourself, and you feel rejected, it's that rejection sometimes that's your protection. Sometimes God is encompassing you with a small group of people or put you by yourself for a little bit because he's trying to protect you. When you're out there in the masses with a group of people, your guard drops, and you feel safe for a number. But God's saying, you know what? I'm going to use you individually. I'm going to use you as a small group, as a little flock. Paul once stated it this way, let God be found true, Though every man be found a liar. He says, listen to him. God's word is true. And the word of man is not the truth most times. It says that in Romans 3, 4. Our number, one, our number one priority is to stand with the Lord on any and all issue. Stand with him. Because we're at war. We're at a spiritual battle every single day. Are we not? Just read the newspaper. Look at the news. Go to school. Go to work. It's a spiritual battle out there. But God's saying, I've equipped you. God's power is victory. God's full of power, and he's full of victory. He says, let's peek into the supernatural. Just take a peek, just like Lucy did. Just peek into that wardrobe. Peek in what's behind there and see what God has for you. Just like Elisha did. Just like Gideon did. Allow God to speak in your life. Those of Gideon's day had no reason to boast concerning their own power. They didn't. They'd, they'd given up on God is what it said. The Lord wanted them to realize how powerful and how awesome he was in their life. And that's why he chose to take 
only 300 and defeat over 120,000 people. A lot of commentaries say that if he just would have let them battle it out 32,000 and they would have won with their 32,000, they would have felt like they felt like all those years. We don't need God. It's all us. But God says, I'm going to draw a line in the sand here with you, Israelites. You're going to fall in my ways and I'm going to give you a mighty victory. And that's what we need to do sometimes. Draw a line in the sand and say, that's it. I've done it that way enough times. I'm going to go God's way this time and allow him to work in our lives. As a believer in Jesus, we have been given access to the supernatural realm of God's kingdom here on earth. And we must believe and understand that there is more going on than meets the natural eye. There is a whole multitude of angels and warriors out there surrounding your enemy, ready to take them out. Like I said, Elisha got a double portion. With God and the Holy Spirit, we got an infinite portion. We got it all. Matthew 14, 22, I'm, I'm on slide 25, Carol. Matthew 14, 22 says this. Peter walks on... The very water, and you know the story, Peter walks on the very water that looks like it would drown him moments earlier. He sees into the supernatural, he focuses on Jesus, and he does what Jesus did. And then what happens? He peeks down from the supernatural, eyes on Jesus, right? And he looks at the natural, and he panics, and he starts to sink. That's a simple lesson for me. If I keep my eyes on Christ, I'm going to stay above the fray. Yeah, things are going to come at me, but when I, when I get focused on, on my problem, on the, super, on the natural problem, and what's the great thing is when he was sinking and he calls out to Jesus, what does Jesus do? Allow him to put, step on his shoulder and push him down further? No, he, he, he lifts him into the boat, calms the storm. That's what Jesus does. Even when we fail, when we take our eyes off of Christ, and we fail and we start to sink, he's still there for us when we call out for him. So if you're here right now, and you've been on top of that water, and even walking with Jesus, and you've had just this great relationship, and you feel like you've stepped away, or you've started focusing on different things, and you're halfway in the water and you're sinking, just call out to him. He'll put you back in the boat. Every single time. He doesn't get tired. He's a, his, his power is unlimitless. He'll just keep throwing you back in the boat, time and time again. He will. That's what he'll do. How about in Numbers 13? I'm just going through some stories here, but I feel it's like an act of God is overriding a disaster. Numbers 13, if we talk about Caleb and Joshua, and ten spies are told to go into the land that I'm giving you, the promised land. Go check it out. And we know that Caleb and Joshua received this land to be their own, above and beyond the report of the ten others who say, we can't take it, it's too hard. There's giants in the land. We were like little grasshoppers in their sight. Caleb and Joshua focused on the promise of God. The other ten focused on the natural disaster. Caleb and Joshua entered the land, the promised land. The other ten did not. When God gives you a promise, and there's a ton of promises in the Bible, he says when God gives you a promise, stick with that and be set free. He has. The book is, is full of promises. The Bible is full of promises. It was an act of God that allowed Caleb and Joshua enter that land. It's the same thing he said to Gideon. I'm giving you the land. He spoke it out. He says, why don't you go check out the land, Caleb, Joshua, and the ten others. Go check out the land that I'm giving you. God just doesn't say that, and then when you get caught and trapped in, in a problem, that he just laughs like, I tricked you. When God says something, he means it. And it requires us to act on it, though, as well. In the natural, the Israelites were 
Another story here. In the natural, the Israelites were facing the disaster of dehydration and death, but Moses supernaturally provided water from a rock. A rock. Exodus 17.6 records that. A rock is dry and barren and void of water, but the Lord our God is full of life and provision, and you've got to believe. And then see and receive. That's what we've got to do. You think about right now is tapping a rock or speaking to a rock. We see later that God tells Moses to speak to the rock, and he taps it once again, but still provided water for him. But this first one in, in Exodus 17.6 is like they're thirsty, and he taps a rock. And not only does he water himself, he waters the whole nation. He saves the whole nation from that. How about the woman with the issue of blood in Matthew 9? The woman with the issue of blood has spent many years trying to naturally fix her hopeless situation that brought her only shame and poverty. And it was a miracle. Think about this. Back then, with a woman who had an issue like this, she wasn't allowed out in public. She had to stay at home. She was ostracized. She was uh, not allowed to go out in public at all. And it was a miracle alone that she made it to Jesus. For I'm sure that everyone who saw her rolling through towns like, there's the unclean woman. What are you doing out here? But for some reason, she just kept going. And she kept going. She got down on her hands and knees and she grabbed the hem of Jesus' garment. And he turns to her and says, virtue has left me. Something has left me. Where's it gone? And, and it goes into this woman. And she's completely healed. She got a vision. She got a supernatural vision of her healed body and she went for it. Is someone here today that's just stuck? You don't know what to do? Just go for it with Jesus. Go for it with God. Get a vision and just go. When all these people are saying, no, no, you got to do this, you got to do that, you got to do this, you got to do that, just go for Jesus and grab a hold of him. This is what this lady did. If you're here today struggling with sickness and pain or disease, get a vision of your healed self and go for it. And remind God of his promises and receive your healing. See, God is the only one who can turn your life around. Why is that? Because he's the one that gave you life. He wants, to, he wants your life to be turned around. Mark eleven twenty four says this, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. I love that scripture. You gotta believe. God wants to move in all our lives. He has chariots of fire surrounding us right now and he wants to supernaturally protect us. So what can you believe for? Maybe that's something you need to sit down with God tonight before you go to bed and just before you shut your eyes, just say, you know what, God? Just give me your wisdom. I want to believe for something more. I don't understand all this stuff, but I know there's more out there. And I believe God will speak to you in that. Just ask, and you'll receive things from God. As a Bible-believing Christian, you need to continue to ask God for wisdom to open up your spiritual eyes. Just ask him for his wisdom. I need some wisdom, God. I'm not that wise right now in my life. Ask for wisdom to open the eyes of your heart. Ask him for that, to see more clearly the spiritual reality of God's kingdom. Ask him for that. Our spiritual eyes should be wide open to what God is doing in the world and what he, wa- and what he desires to accomplish in our lives. See, the real battle, and I'm about ready to finish here, the real battle in God's kingdom is not against human or physical forces, right? It's a spiritual battle against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. It says that in Ephesians 6.12. But God has provided us those ministering spirits, those warring angels to go forth and battle and win. 2 Corinthians 5.7 says, For we walk by faith, 
not by sight. That's why with Paul, and that's why with the Syrian army, that they had this blindness come upon them. Because if they wouldn't, it wouldn't have worked out. Paul needed to be scales over his eyes. So he had to be led by a man of God to the place where God says, I'm going to start your ministry right here. So maybe you got scales on your eyes right now. and You're blinded from what God has for you. He wants to open your eyes today and allow you to start something new, something fresh. Whether you're 10 or 20 or 80, he wants to start something fresh in your life. He does. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've seen, no matter what you've done, he wants to start something fresh in your life. So as you hit your pillow tonight or you, you're driving home today, just ask God, open up my eyes. Open up my spiritual eyes. I want to see. The last scripture here is, now, by, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, evidence of the things not seen. Hebrews 11.1. 1. It's evidence of things not seen. We can't see everything. But we still pray, right? We still ask God. We ask him to intervene. The spiritual things and the supernatural things. So today, ask God to reveal to you the supernatural to give you a vision of your victory and your provision. Can you do that? I think I wrote that. I don't know if I wrote that on the sheet, but I got it up there. An act of God will always beat a natural disaster. You may not believe that, but I do. I believe that God, when we ask God to intervene in our lives, he's going to trump what we've created in our own lives that causes problems. Whether you're dealing with sickness, disease, addiction, depression, whatever it is, a multitude of problems. We ask God to intervene in our lives and say, you know what, Father God, I want to do it your way. I need your wisdom to battle this problem. He'll speak to you. and He'll show you in his word where to go. So you'll be able to not only be victorious, but you'll be victorious longer. And when the trials and the tribulations in your life come, and the poking and the prodding, you'll be able to go back to God and say, you know what, Father God, I need wisdom for this situation. And he'll apply and reapply the wisdom to you all the time. Amen? As the worship team comes up and close, I'm going to invite Pastor Jim to come up here. and uh, You over here, uh, Cassie, you and, would you and Barb be able to pray on this side? Okay. Um, and if the roses, if there's some more people, uh, come I know we got communion on each side as well. You can come up and, 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 and have communion on your own. Uh, if you're new to our church, we, we take by intentions, which we, we take the, the cracker, cracker we, we dip it in the juice, and we take it this way. We don't drink out of the cup. If you're a born-again Christian and you want to, and you've made Jesus Lord of your life, you're free to come up and take communion as a family, as an individual, any way you want. And just know that God loves you so much. But I invited Jim up here and I invited, I invited Cassie and Barb to come up because I feel like if there's people here that just need a fresh start today, you need prayer. If you need someone to pray in agreement with you that, that, that the eyes of the supernatural are going to be open for you today, these guys will be able to put their hand on you and pray for you and, and give you a, a fresh start. Amen? And Father God, we just thank you so much for this time. Father, we thank you that you've always been there for us, Father God. You see us as your children. And Father, as we call upon your name and ask for your wisdom in each situation, you will speak to us and show us, Father God. And we thank you, Father, as, as the trials come against us, that your word and your Holy Spirit on the inside of us defeats all those, Father God. And we just thank you and praise you for your victory in Jesus' name. Amen.